Hello, and welcome to What the Dev. I'm your host, Christina Cardoza, and joining us today is Chris Ferris, Chief Technology Officer of Open Technology at IBM. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, I wanted to talk to you today because you released a blog about um, open source evolution and predictions for the next decade. But before we get started, did you just want to give us a brief background on what is open technology at IBM? What, and what are some of the things that you're focused on there? So we use the term open technology to refer to both uh, open standards and open source. So it's the sort of the, the combination of those two. And the CTO, I'm responsible from a technical perspective for uh, helping to set the strategy for which open source projects we work on and and how we uh, you know evolve our open source uh, participation and uh, also for uh, any open standards work that IBM does. Great. So um, you know, open source celebrated its 20th anniversary last year, and obviously, it's the backbone of many, if not all, technology or software today. So you know, what has happened? Um, in this last two decades that have gotten us to this point where open source is just such a big momentum in the industry? Um, so actually, I mean, yeah, I think the open source uh, initiative is 20 years old, but open source itself has been around for uh, even you know well before that. Uh, IBM, in, in fact, was uh, involved in open source in the very early days of Linux and um, and and IBM's uh, sort of support for Linux in the late 1990s was what really sort of I think made uh, use and adoption of open source technology and the enterprise a, um, a thing, right? Um, uh, I think you know if, if I were to sort of look back um, and actually you know it, I, I use this in one of the talks that I gave. If you read the uh, the Cathedral and the Bazaar. Um, you know, there's a, a mention that, you know, predicting back in 1997 that, you know, open source is likely to win because of the community aspects, right? You know, the, 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 the sum is greater than the, uh, the whole, I should say, is greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, the fact that people are building on each other's successes and able to do so. Um, and then I think uh, the other aspect of that would be um, how we've, been able to establish what I like to call safe places to collaborate and innovate um, in communities like Apache and Eclipse and the Linux Foundation, um, where you know even fierce competitors are getting together and collaborating on uh, technology and and they're taking those innovations and sort of you know um, uh, leapfrogging each other. I think it's I think it's that that's that's made open source a success. Um, you know, even companies as large as Google and Amazon really can't out-innovate the rest of everybody else. You said IBM has been involved in open source since the early days. So how yeah. would you describe IBM's involvement in open source today? Um, uh, still growing. <laughs> it was interesting, you know, of course, we, we just recently, you know, closed on the acquisition of Red Hat. And that was, actually, that was sort of a watershed moment, the largest acquisition um, to date. I'm sure there will be larger ones. But um, uh, I think that that's had a, a significant effect over the course of the past uh, year and a half or more, um, you know, since the actual announcement that we were going to go through the, with it. Um, uh, because <clears throat> I, think, I think it opened up a number of people's eyes and said, wait, wow, we're spending three, you know, $34 billion on an open source company, what's up with that, right? And 
Um, I think that as a result, a lot of people inside IBM who weren't necessarily sort of tuned into open source and the value that it had sort of uh, took another look. And uh, I think it's, it's expanded the interest in open source, the interest in sort of pursuing, uh, you know, what Red Hat does, which is sort of an upstream first kind of approach to developing software um, and delivering solutions that are based on open source. Um, and so as a result, you know, I think over, certainly over the course of the past year and a half or more, um, you know, we've seen a number of projects that IBM has developed go directly out into open source before, um, you know, we actually bring something to market. So projects like Razzie and Cabanero and, and, and then just prior to that, uh, the work that we did um, on Amalgamate that, uh, you know, with Google and Lyft became Istio. You know, these are the kinds of things that I think demonstrate that IBM is starting to pursue much more of a, a an upstream first kind of a mindset when it comes to delivering software and services. Great. And is that upstream mindset, is that new with the um, Red Hat acquisition or has uh, IBM like I said, approached I think, it? I, I, I think a little bit, yes. Um, I think, you know, people are now, it, it's sort of, it's safe to do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> a few people have, have uh, sort of broken the mold. You know, we, we uh, you know, like I said, I, IBM's been doing open source for quite some time. We, you know, we're one of the top contributors to open source. Again, there's a number of different ways that you can measure things. But, um, you know, by, by most measures, IBM is about number four in term, it, alone. And then when you add in Red Hat, we're number two. And possibly number one, uh, again, is pretty close between IBM now and, and Microsoft in terms of who's contributing the most into open source. And, um, and I, you know, there's, I think, uh, you know, you can look back and say, yes, we've been involved with Linux, but then we helped establish Apache. We helped found Eclipse and invested significantly in Eclipse and the whole Java ecosystem throughout the years. All of that's been done in open source. Um, and then, you know, over the course of the past, I'd say five or six years, we've been getting a lot more involved with the Linux Foundation as they've started down the path of creating collaborative projects underneath the Linux Foundation and the work we've done with Cloud Foundry and Hyperledger and CNCF and OCI and, 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 and just many, many more of those. I think, again, continually increasing the the contributions back to the community based on technology that we're leveraging to deliver sol solutions and services. Great. And so what would you say, um, you know, is the state of open source today? Um, may you live in interesting times. I, I think, I think we are going through, you know, we're, 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 we're experiencing both, uh, uh, significant, growth and 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 sort of acceptance that open source uh, essentially won the if there was a war you know about how do you develop software you know the open source is the answer to how you develop software these days there's no question that almost all of the significant innovation has come through through open source over the course of the past few years um and so i don't think people necessarily question that i think though that what the community, you know, what open source is struggling with a little bit now is the whole, you know, sustainability model. How do you, how do you sustainably, you know, keep a project going if, if it starts out as commercial open source where you have a, you know, a small uh, startup who comes up with a crazy idea 
that takes off and you know so they develop something that's really cool that everybody wants to use um, they try and make a business out of that and then you have obviously you have some cloud vendors that maybe go off and take advantage of that uh, without necessarily giving back IBM I think built, believes strongly in in trying to give back and do the right thing um, but I think that the industry is going through some struggles and some uh, you know sort of uh, self, you know, self-reflection self on, you know, what's the licensing model that can both sustainably keep an open source project uh, uh, vibrant and, and, and innovating, uh, by, but at the same time allow people to use it um, and to make sure that those that are developing it are somehow or other either able to build a business around it or able to get compensated for it. So I think that's sort of where, you know, I think things get Kind of interesting, but um, you know, certainly when it comes to um, you know delivering solutions around cloud, cognitive, you know, data and AI, uh, machine learning, and so forth, the, it's 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 all about open source. Um, you know, an interesting point you make with the open source licensing. I'm sure you've seen and heard, you know, a number of companies over the last couple of years switch their licensing because they yeah. um, believe there's unfair use of code from technology right. giants not contributing back. What are your thoughts on this? So personally, I think that <clears throat> the right thing to do is to get, you know, for people, if you're, if you're using software, you should be contributing back into helping to improve it. I, I just, that's my firm belief. Um, and there's a number of different ways that you can do that. It doesn't always have to be with code. Uh, it can be through support of the, you know, the community, various other ways, but there should be give back, right? Um, it shouldn't be a mercenary sort of, you know, winner take all kind of a thing. It really should. And 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 conversely, I also think that if you're going to go and, and start a business, that you shouldn't be trying to sort of keep others from using the stuff. Uh, and, and I think that sort of defeats the whole point from an open source perspective. So that's why I say I think the industry is sort of is is struggling with this. I think you know the cloud. Uh, has has somewhat changed some of the dynamic, um, and it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. But certainly, you know, if I look at, <clears throat> you know, IBM and Microsoft and Google as sort of the the positive examples of ensuring that we're giving back, um, that and and Red Hat obviously, then I think that, you know, that's you know we're trying to set the the positive example of what you should be doing. Great. And now that you know we're heading into a new year 2020 what are some predictions you have for the open space over the next year or even the next decade well the, the the point i was trying to make in my in my in my blog post was really to sort of highlight the fact that if we look back at 2009 i don't think anybody would have predicted the stuff that happened in the 10 years that that followed and the decade that followed uh you know nobody was really thinking about containers in 2009 it was something that really sort of started um, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, with the emergence of, you know, pre-Docker, if you will, um, in, uh, in the following year, and then, uh, you know, eventually brought it out to market as Docker. And then we had container explosion, right? Uh, I don't think that people were necessarily thinking that we'd all be walking around with an AI in our pocket, right? And yet almost everybody with a smartphone now has Siri or Hey Google or uh, Alexa on their phone, right? 
Um, and uh, all of these things, I think, you know, were really made possible by innovations that happened in open source. And so I'm, you know, thinking sort of into the next 10 years, I can maybe look out, you know, a little bit into the horizon. But I think, you know, the, the really interesting part is, what, you know, just imagine, you know, what's going to come in the next 10 years. And I think it's likely going to be the case that it's things that we weren't really expecting. Right. It's going to be innovations that build off of some of these <clears throat> capabilities, but that, uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be the real sort of uh, quantum leaps, if you will, uh, that are, are, are going to really mark what's in, interesting about what happens in the next 10 years. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some obviously, I think, in the container space, containers will continue to get smaller and, you know, we'll get startup times and so forth down to nanoseconds so that we can have serverless environments, you know, supported by the likes of Kubernetes and Knative. Um, I certainly think that, um, you know, in the blockchain space, there's going to be a lot of innovation around consensus models and privacy, uh, zero knowledge proofs, uh, quantum proof crypto, uh, cryptographic uh, techniques and so forth. Uh, that we're going to see in the next couple of years. But uh, I'm really interested in what happens when we start to think about the intersection of blockchain and AI and when we think about the intersection of IoT and AI and, uh, and containers. What, where does this all take us? You also mentioned um, quantum processors in mm. that blog. What what would is the promise of quantum computing and how will it ingrain itself in the open source world? Well, so uh, IBM sort of kickstarted the whole quantum and open source with the release of QuizKit about three years ago. Um, that's our uh, software development kit for the IBM Q platform, which is our quantum um, computers that we're developing and research. We make those available to the public to sort of timeshare. Um, uh, I think that uh, you know, so there's there's two aspects. Of one of one of it is the hardware aspect of it, and that's that's where the real, uh, I think, interesting science is going on to to get to the point where we have stable qubits, um, you know, that we can hold around for more than a couple of milliseconds uh, in order to do some interesting computational things with them to get to the point where we get repeatable results and so forth. Um, I think that the question of what do quantum computers do, what do they allow us to do, there's an awful lot of speculation, but we're still really at the sort of the very, very earliest days of what you can do with a quantum computer. Um, uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, again, it'll, I think it'll largely depend on how, uh, you know, how long it takes for us to get to the point where we have enough stable qubits that we can start running processes for an extended period of time um, and that we can, you know, do some, you know, very interesting com computations. I think I, I read someplace at one point that you need about 256 stable qubits in order to, um, to, to do some sort of cryptographic uh, computations. And we're only at about 50, right? And it's taken us, you know, a few years, three, four years since we started down this path to get to that point from a hardware perspective. I think there will be, you know, uh, you know, continuous improvement. 
Um, but I, 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 I'm not really sure what we're going to see people use quantum computing for. Um, it's going to have to get the cost of the computers down, and then we have to get the programming approach to how do you program a, a quantum computer um, to do some interesting things. So, like I said, I think it'll be very interesting to see this space. I honestly don't know how it'll play out. I think it'll I think we'll all be surprised. And now you also um, talked about how Kubernetes is the largest open source project in the planet today. Mm -hmm. So what what would you say makes a successful open source project? Well, the ones, the, the successful open source projects, I think have um, uh, a couple of characteristics. One is that they're useful. <laughs> so that's an important criteria. It has to be something that, that can be useful. Um, I think it has to be something that you can build on Right, you, you can plug in stuff, you can build on top of, you can extend it in some interesting ways to make, you know, for a vibrant ecosystem that sort of uh, wants to sort of build and, and, and market capabilities out, you know, uh, beyond just the base. I think it has to be a project that's developed under open governance. You know, Kubernetes started out under the control of Google, but uh, I think they did the right thing in contributing it to the Cloud Native Compute Foundation, the CNCF, uh, under the, the Linux Foundation. Um, and I think ever since that time, it's just exploded. Um, and at one point I was looking and there's like over 4,000 people contributing to Kubernetes and uh, some of the related projects that uh, are ongoing uh, in, the, in the context of uh, the CNCF. That's, that's crazy, right? Um, you know, how many, how many companies have 4,000 people working on a single thing, um, much less, you know, hundreds. And, and so, <clears throat> you know, I, again, it has to have the utility, it has to have uh, the extensibility so that people can add value. Uh, and then it has to be under open governance so that there's, I think, you know, so that people feel safe in contributing without thinking that there's one company sort of calling all the shots and, able to sort of modify the, the license, for instance, at the, uh, on, on, a, on a whim or because of some business concerns. Okay, great. Um, I believe that is all the time we're going to have today. Thank you again, Chris, for joining us. My pleasure. Um, to, to learn more about this topic, you can visit the setimes.com website or you can head over to the IBM developer blog and check out Chris's post on what five new innovations will open source yield in the 2020s. Until next time, this has been What the Dev. All right, thank you.